Hey, welcome to the Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. Sophie and Sasha, my goodness. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, let's try this again. He is risen. Uh, thanks for setting that up, Mitch. I appreciate it. It's very, very helpful. So we are here, Easter Sunday. We have come and it's a pretty exciting day for us because as Christians, this is the day that defines our faith, isn't it? This is the day in which people from all around the world come together to remember that Christ has risen. And it's also the day that we eat lots of chocolate, isn't it? Who's eaten lots of chocolate today already? Yeah. Oh, not enough people. I noticed both the Sheedies have their hands up. Nice. How much, how much chocolate did Noah have this morning? Heaps? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I thought to kind of get us in the mood of Easter, we might be eating some eggs together this morning. What's like, the thing that I get a bit bummed out about is I feel like I missed out on the like best generation of Easter eggs. Like today, Easter eggs have like caramello in them, they have like Turkish delight, they have crunchy. It's like crazy how many different eggs we have. Who wants a couple of eggs? Who hasn't had enough chocolate today? There we go, I'm gonna throw some out, no. Here we go, no, all right, maybe I won't throw them out in the dark, that's probably a bad idea. I didn't really think that through, but it's okay. I'll eat one up here, because I love these eggs for Easter Sunday, because what's in these ones? They're empty, which if you're all just about the caramello or the Turkish delight or the cream eggs, who likes the cream eggs? They're pretty good. But the hollow eggs are my favourite on Easter Sunday because they're empty, because it reminds us of an empty tomb. That's why we're here today, because there was an empty tomb 2,000 years ago. That's why we're here. And without an empty tomb, our faith is empty. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. He says, And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and our faith is also empty. Paul's saying one of two things are empty, either the tomb or our faith. One of them needs to be empty. And that's why I'm here this morning, because I believe that 2,000 years ago, Christ rose and there was an empty tomb. So... Good Friday, only two days ago, Brian spoke about a cross that divides. And we had our amazing set design team fabricate this holy of holies veil. That as Jesus died on the cross, it divided the veil. Brian was talking about a cross that divides. And today I want to talk about a cross that multiplies. A cross that multiplies love, joy, peace, hope. It's something that we need to really understand. Mitch said earlier this morning that sometimes I think there's some fair criticism that maybe the cross as a single image of the Christian faith can be a bit of a confusing one sometimes. N.T. Wright has a great quote that the gospel can be thought of as a five-act play and that the crucifixion is actually only act three. We need to make sure that we're not getting stuck 
in Act 3. Act 3 is pivotal. In a lot of ways, it's the climactic moment of the story, but it's not the end of the story. And I think that we as Christians, if we get stuck in Act 3 and don't have our eyes set forward towards an Act 4 and 5, when we're only worshipping a dying Jesus on a cross, well, we end up inheriting a dying faith. Is there any wonder? But what Paul is saying is we're not inheriting a story that ends with a dying Jesus on a cross. We're inheriting a story that continues on with an empty tomb, with a living and active and breathing and spirit-infused resurrection faith. But the thing about that is Act 4, as five-act plays tend to be, isn't the end. N.T. Wright says the Bible finishes in Act 4 and we are invited, all of us now, as followers of Jesus, into Act 5. All of us this morning are invited into this story. We are all invited into Act 5. We're all invited into the empty tomb this morning. We have some pretty confusing images on stage this morning, don't we? We have a torn veil and then we have Jesus' bed with bandages left. Why are we now in the Holy of Holies but standing in an empty tomb? Well, let me get to that in a second. But first I want to tell you about an 18th century senior government official called Thomas Butts, which is an unfortunate last name, but that was his last name. And he commissioned the now famous William Blake, the famous romantic poet and painter, to paint 80 watercolours of gospel scenes, or Bible scenes, I should say, all the way from Genesis to Revelation. And I want to take us to what I would say is my favourite William Blake painting this morning. It's two angels in the tomb described in John. It's quite striking. It's quite simple. But there's two things that obviously are going on here. First of all, Christ isn't yet risen. So this is the Saturday that we're looking at. But the posture of the angels isn't how John describes them. John describes in his gospel as one sitting at the head and one sitting at the foot of where Jesus had been laid. They're not sitting. They're, they're, they're standing, hovering on top, facing one another. It's a striking image. And I suppose the question is, well, why did William Blake choose to depict the angels in a way that's completely different to the way John describes it? Well, you know, I suppose we could be bereft of any sort of curiosity. We could just kind of, you know, shrug and go, I don't know, maybe he just thought it was a cool image. He's an 18th century romantic painter. Who knows? Or... Maybe, maybe this morning we could accept Blake's invitation and the Apostle John's invitation to engage in a powerful theological illusion. Maybe we could lean in and look closely this morning. I want to call this morning's sermon, Lean In and Look Closely. See... When the veil was torn, we were all invited into God's presence, God's complete presence, torn open and revealed to us. And then when the tomb was emptied and Mary comes to see an empty tomb, she sees something quite phenomenal. She sees these angels facing each other. 
And John is saying, the Holy of Holies is accessible, but the Holy of Holies through the power of the Spirit is now manifesting everywhere. This empty tomb, a tomb that was a symbol of death, has become a symbol of life. The tomb which was a symbol of death has become another holy of holies through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Exodus 25, God says to Moses, Make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide. And make two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. Make one cherub on one end and the second cherub on the other. Make the cherubim of one piece with the cover at the two ends. The cherubim are to have their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other, looking toward the cover. Place the cover on top of the ark and put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law that I give you. There above the cover, between the two cherubim that are over the Ark of the Covenant, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. God says, it's on this cover that my presence will dwell. It's on this cover which symbolizes my word, my law, manna from heaven, a rod which even as a dead piece of wood could bud with new life. All of these are allusions to what John is pointing towards in this moment when we see two angels on both ends of where Jesus had been laid. And instead of an image of a high priest who only once a year is able to go into God's presence into the Holy of Holies, instead the new image that John is giving us is a weeping woman outside the tomb, being invited in to a new covenant where God's spirit, God's presence is not just manifested in one single place, but is popping up through the power of his spirit everywhere, even here right now today in this very room. Now, there's other people in this story because I think so easy, it's so easy to not be like Mary, to when we see a revelation of God's goodness, to not actually sit there for a moment in quiet, contemplative meditation, but instead be like a Peter and a John. I think Peter and John encapsulate our culture perfectly today because what do Peter and John do? They followed Jesus for three years. Jesus dies. He's resurrected. They come. They see the tomb. They believe. They leave. They come. They see. They believe. They leave. They're in such a rush to get back home. <laughs> That's their posture. While Mary is sitting outside the tomb, leaning in and looking closely, Peter and John are off to the next thing, off home, not wanting to spend another second in the presence of God in this new profound revelation. But they've got people to see, places to be, chocolate eggs to eat. Got to rush off. But Mary stayed. I think that's what we want to be looking at this morning. What it looks like to truly, in this moment of Easter Sunday, lean in and look intently. John writes, But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. That's a, why is Mary stooping? 
Is Mary look like nine foot tall? Is this tomb some weird, small Alice in Wonderland tomb? Why is Mary stooping and looking down and looking intently? That's a, that's a weird posture, right? Why is John including this in his gospel? Well, it's because the English translators are trying to encapsulate a single word in Greek which doesn't really have an equivalent in English. It's paraclipto, which means to lean in and look closely. I don't know about you, but I want to start squinting when I'm postured like this. Like, really, it's drawing us in, isn't it? To really not just see, believe, leave, but to stop, to lean in and to look closely. Now, we might be thinking, well, that's all well and good for Mary. I mean, Mary had seven demons cast out of her from Jesus. Mary followed Jesus for probably about three years, was able to witness his teachings and his miracles. Like, that's all well and good for Mary, okay? Like, she's experienced a bit more of Jesus than I probably have. Yeah, sure, Mary probably has the wherewithal to lean in and look intently. But what this story is actually saying is that we are now all filled with that same Holy Spirit in that moment. We are all who accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, filled with that Holy Spirit and able to be invited into that same theological revelation, that the Holy Spirit isn't just present in some temple far away in the inner room that only a VIP high priest can do once a year. He's present to us right now, today, and that's why I want to be inviting you all to lean in and look closely. And you might be thinking, okay, but, you know, that's all well and good for you, Muzz, as a pastor to say, but, you know, for me, I've still got some unanswered questions. Where is Jesus for me in all of this? Where is God's presence for me in all of this, in the grind and the daily humdrum of life and the monotony? Like, I'm not seeing it. And I want to encourage you this morning that Jesus doesn't just appear to the Mary Magdalene's who are able to take a moment to lean in and look closely. Jesus doesn't just appear to the Peters and Johns who later, after running away and not taking a second longer to stop, he still reveals himself to them. But I tell you who else he reveals himself to? The doubting Thomases. And I think that that is a profound truth that maybe some of us need to hear today that even the people who are questioning and who aren't so sure and who are reticent to lean in and look closely, Jesus still wants to meet you where you're at. John writes in verses 24, 25, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, which just means the twin, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Is this you this morning? Are you a little shaky, a little sceptical, a little cynical of this story that maybe it's all just an old wives' tale? You're not alone. One of Jesus' own students who'd been following him for three years had these same doubts. You are not alone. But what is Jesus' response He appears to Thomas and calls him to do something really interesting. John goes on to write in verses 26, 29, a week later. Can we just stop there for a second? A week 
later? <laughs> like, come on, Jesus. Like, I, I, I would love for you to appear to me like a week later. Isn't that how we can sometimes feel sometimes in this Peter and John mentality of rush, rush, rush? That, hey, God, I'll believe in you if you appear and reveal yourself to me right now. And if not, if it's not on my terms, in my timing, my way, then we're done. I mean, I, I, I mourn to say that I have had friends who have stepped out of the faith because they were not willing to wait for God to reveal himself in his timing instead of their timing. But maybe the creator of the universe and our heavenly father, the one who knows how many hairs are on our heads, knows a bit more about perfect timing than we do. Because it's funny, he appears to Thomas, yeah, a week later, but what seems to be at the perfect timing for Thomas. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas says to him, My Lord and my God. I showed you that William Blake painting before. It's a good painting. But it's not my favourite painting. I want to show you what is probably my favourite painting of all time. It's by a Renaissance painter called Caravaggio. And it's called The Incredulity of St. Thomas. Can we get it up? Hmm. Isn't it beautiful? Jesus is inviting Thomas to lean in and look intently. I can't help but be struck by this image. When my son George didn't yet have teeth, he loved sticking his finger in people's mouths to just feel their teeth <laughs> with childlike curiosity, just <laughs> touching it. Because it wasn't something that he'd yet experienced in his body. See, Thomas right now has a childlike curiosity where he's experiencing a risen body, something that he hasn't yet experienced himself. He's leaning in and he's looking closely at the first new man, a resurrected man who has a new body. He leans in and looks intently and responds, my Lord and my God. Are you weeping outside an empty tomb this morning? Are you in a season of grief in your life where you feel like you've lost everything that you held dear? Are you feeling like you don't know where the next step is, that you don't know what act five in this story that God is inviting you into even looks like? I'd invite you just like Mary this morning to lean in and look closely. Are you in a rush this Easter Sunday? Are you like a Peter or a John who's in such a rush to get back home after being at the empty tomb that you aren't affording yourself a moment on this Easter Sunday, the pivotal day in the Christian calendar to lean in and look closely, to take a breath, to stop, to slow down, to think that maybe on this day, 
I can put God above my itinerary for the day. Are you like Thomas? Are you full of cynicism, intellectualism, not wanting to really believe in this crazy, supernatural story? Are you feeling like God's already missed the boat on you? Like he didn't turn up when you needed him? And now, unless he really appears to you, that your mind will ever be changed? I want to invite you this morning to be vulnerable, to lean in, to look closely. I'm going to invite the band back up as I lead us in prayer. Jesus, we thank you that our faith is not empty, that this preaching is not empty, that the songs we sing are not empty because there was an empty tomb. God, we just want to pray for each and every single heart this morning who has come in that needs to be reminded to lean in and look intently. Holy Spirit, wouldn't you allow yourself to be felt, to be known, to be experienced this morning in a new way? Jesus, wouldn't you reveal yourself, not in our timing, but in your perfect timing? And wouldn't we be vulnerable enough to lean in and look intently? God, every day is yours. But we pray that today in particular, even more so, we can focus on the love, the truth, the peace, the hope, the life that you bring that you bring with hands, with holes in them and invite us in to act five of your perfect story. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.